Father God, we take a moment before Paul preaches each week to commit him to you and to ask your blessings on him as he preaches. So God, give him courage today. Give him strength. Give him wisdom to, uh, to say the things that you want him to say to us. God, we know you have great messages for us each Sunday. This one is no exception, so I pray that you'll bless Paul as he delivers it, that you'll help us to pay attention to what you have to say to us today, and that you'll bless this wonderful man as he does it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, brother. To be fair, Bob, I was like, Bob, what in the heck are you doing with this video? And Bob's verbatim thing was like, Sunday afternoon is going to be pretty, and I don't know if any contemporary people come unless we give them a reason to come. <laughs> so there's that. So turning your Bibles, this, this morning, let, let me set up before I read the scripture because I want you to know where we're coming from. So we're, in, we're going through the Apostles' Creed and we've gone through and we've been taking out each part and hitting them. So we are in, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So that's where we are this morning, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. But I'm gonna tell you this again, is that if you didn't realize that the Apostles' Creed then picks up with what's the next part? suffered under Pontius Pilate. So you realize that the Apostles' Creed doesn't say Jesus walked on the water, he healed the sick, you know, he taught, he fed the 5,000, he did all that. So all of Jesus' in the flesh life is found in, you know, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So we're gonna talk about this Christ in the flesh. What was God like in the flesh? What did he do in his life? So read with me now. And really, really, three and four are, are the gospel just smushed down right in here together so you'll hear it. And then obviously he's gonna tell us later on in Romans 10, 9, how do you respond to it? This is the letter from Paul, Jesus Christ's slave, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach the good news. This good news was promised long ago by God through the prophets in his holy scriptures. It is the good news about his son, Jesus, who came as a man born into King David's family's royal line, royal family line. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, was shown to be the Son of God when God powerfully raised him from the dead by means of the Holy Spirit. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. You are among those who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. Dear friends in Rome, God loves you dearly and he has called you to be his very own people. May grace and peace be yours from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So part of what we need to do, and I'll just unapologetically tell you that this is going to be some apologetics in this sermon. It's going to be some explaining why we believe about the, the, the significance that God became flesh, that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully human, and what did he do? And so in one of those ways, you're going to have to run. We want to run Jesus through a grid and first of all, the grid is going to be three parts. What do other people say about him? So we're going to be looking at the Old Testament. What did the Old Testament say that Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, when he came, what would he do? What would he be like? So first, what have other people said? Secondly, what were the claims that Jesus said himself? And then the, whole, the other part is, does it all add up? Because you can have what other people say, you can have your own claims, and then the third part is, do your actions in life, does your life work match up both with what you've claimed and with what someone else claims about you? So, but before we put Jesus through that, through that 
mesh, before we put Jesus through the what do other people say about you, what claims do you make about yourself and your life, before we put Jesus into it, let's put Michael Jackson through it. Now, Danielle and I have been watching shows about Michael Jackson here recently. We're not going to talk about that. That's a whole different ballgame. But we have just been kind of revisiting our childhood about Michael Jackson. And so let's talk about what other people say about Michael Jackson. Now, we're going to go, we're we're going all positive. We're just going to just, spoiler alert, we're going all positive. And if you were to ask people about Michael Jackson, they're going to be like, man, phenomenal dancer. Just phenomenal dancer. They were, he was doing things. He made the look like the floor was moving, but it was really he was moving. He did this thing, and he could just lean and all this kind of stuff. Just phenomenal dancer. And then they say, well, what else? Was a great singer. Great singer. Just high highs and low high highs and uh, <laughs> high mids and just really tender and taking these songs about this and, and just a great songwriter and a great lyricist and, and all these kind of things. And then just a great entertainer, these visions that he had and he just did all this kind of stuff and that was so creative and brought this element into it and that element into it. Just, just great dancer, great singer, great entertainer, very creative. What are Michael's claims about himself? Michael claimed that he was bad. By bad, he did not mean not good. By bad, he meant tough. We need to talk about this for a second. Because the video starts out with these guys going, hey, man, what are you going to do? And Michael responds to them, you ain't bad, you ain't nothing. And then he's like. <laughs> hold, hold on just a second. Not only that, but every time in the chorus of the song, when he's giving you this rhetorical question that he's going to answer, It always ends up with, who's bad? You're getting a package deal right now. You're getting a package deal. Because right now, Michael's claims about himself simultaneously don't hold up to his actions. There's no one else in the world that's like, I'm so bad. (laughs) And we're just like, no. Now, What other people said about him was true, but the claims that he said about himself were not. And so we've got to take that into account. It doesn't all add up what somebody else has said about him, what he says about himself, and then the life that he lives. So let's put Jesus through that whole same thing. Now again, let's go back to the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and then you've got his life. Because the next thing we get, there's 33 years go by, and you've got suffered under Pontius Pilate. So we need to kind of talk about that as, as in the context of this text. So will God in the flesh then add up what other people said about him, the claims that he says about himself, and the actual life that he lived? And why is it, why is it so significant that Jesus came in the flesh, that God came in the flesh, that he didn't just kind of float around? So go to this claim to fame is that he is a servant, Paul's greatest claim to fame is that he's a servant. He could have, I'm a bond servant to Jesus Christ. But then when we look at this, I love this part and the, what, what you're not hearing between, behind the scenes or behind the lines is this. The person who by his own account from Acts and Philippians claims to, remember I said this the other week, he's, he's, he claims by his own to be a super Jew. To understand to the nth degree every single nuance of a strange, to everyone else in the world, a strange religion coming out of the Middle East, the rules, the rituals, the history, the prophets, 
the people and the way it all plays out and then how Jesus comes and fulfills all that, think about the fact that he took the person that knew the most about that by his own account and by what other people said about it, and he put that person to be the one to tie it all together and go, and now I'm going to take this message from this specific place, now coming fulfilled in this specific person, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to take it out and share it with the world. And how amazing it is that God works, that he would have all this worked out in his plan to show and connect the dots from the Old Testament through the prophets, through the words, through the teachers, through the scripture, through all of that to the man, Jesus Christ, to his teachings, and now the good news out, not just to the Jews, but to everyone. And so in verse two, I love the fact that Paul reminds us of something very significant. We think that the gospel is a new thing, but he tells you that long ago, the good news had already been promised. So if you go to Genesis 3.15, that is for your Greek word for the day called the proto-euangelion, which means the first gospel. And so what does it say? Right after the man and woman have sinned, God right on the spot. The, you know what, man, like the, the apple juice or whatever is just still dripping down their chin. And God is already coming here and talking about what's going to go on and how there's going to be forgiveness. And he says, listen, you the woman, there will be an offspring of yours, and he will come to deliver the people. He will crush the serpent's head, even though the serpent will strike his heel. And you can think so much exactly about exactly what happened on the cross. Jesus Christ was crushed, but sin and death were defeated, and Christ rises again. So this is not a new thing. He's talking about something. I want you, to, Romans, to connect what's been promised long ago, and you don't know all this, but I'm going to illuminate it for you. Then verse 3. Verse 3 is central to the gospel. Jesus was a man. I know that you know this, but in Isaiah 7, 14, it talks about the fact that the Messiah would come and he would be born of a virgin. I don't know about you guys, but most times when you're born from a woman, you are a man. I think pretty much 100% of the time, and I mean humanity in that way, humanity, that humans give birth to humans. So he just, it's just this very simple point. He would be born a virgin, and then it was also important that they told you and they made you understand that he was going to be born into David's royal line, and that comes straight out of 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes this covenant promise to David, and he says, out of your line will come one who will lead my people. And this was promised, this Davidic thing, and so through all of a sudden David's lineage, here you get to later on, Mary and Joseph. Then verse four. Don't miss this part. If you want to think about how, how human Jesus is, he comes and walks around for 33 years with the most common name of the time of his land. Now, I don't know what the most common name is now. If you were to come back and he was going to be a man and we're like, well, here's the Messiah. His name's Jeff. It ought to have been like the Messiah, the Son of God. Can we not give him some like really more like Lord of the Ringsy kind of names like Aragornitis or something like that? You know, no. It's we're getting you the point. He's so human that he has an incredibly common human name. But look at his. He even goes on and says he's not someone that came and either declared it to himself or it was created by other people. But he was declared both to be the Lord and the Messiah and resurrect from the dead by who? By the Holy Spirit. So different, that is so intricate into this because you don't have Muhammad coming up and saying, I, I am a prophet right at the very beginning, you know, or you have Joseph Smith, I, I am the one. You have by God himself declaring Christ, and of course Jesus is gonna declare it and ratify that as well. Verses three and four really are central to the gospel. 
Verses three and three and four are the gospel. And then there's the part where it says later on here in the next thing in verse five that he wants people then now to trust and obey the gospel. So verse five, he's saying again, we have come to announce good news. Not what you must do, but the news that already has happened. That's what the gospel is. The gospel isn't a list of things that you're supposed to do. The gospel is good news. You just have to respond to it. And so he simply says it so that you would trust it and that you would obey it. What has done, what has been done for you. And so, of course, we picked up on this a few weeks ago. We were in Romans 10, 9. And we've got to trust it. We've got to obey. We've got to confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts. So we get to verse 6. Verse 6 is this part that is just beautiful. You are such an, a recipient of grace that God in his grace is reaching out to you. You're not reaching out to him. He is reaching out to you. You have been set apart by God. And if you want to read a little bit more about what this same verse would say, make a note to go look at 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14. A paraphrase of that is, you were loved and chosen and set apart by God for salvation through the Holy Spirit. You were called when you heard the gospel. That, that's, that's, that's kind of a paraphrase of 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14. But it's this idea of God's grace reaching out. And then verse 7. Verse 7, Jesus, he does this, Paul does this incredible thing by juxtaposing, and this is again is the truth and obey, by juxtaposing God the Father and Jesus as Lord. And so when you juxtapose God the Father and Jesus as Lord, there's a two-part in that. You're called to trust, and if Jesus is Lord, you're called to obey. So he's, he's given you so many clues about who Jesus is. So let's, let's go ahead and let's, let's, put, let's put Jesus through this, um, through this kind of mesh, because you know what? We've got to look at what was said about him, what he said, and then his actions. And you go, why can't we just look at his actions? Well, I want to stop right there, and Tim Keller has a good whole sermon about this, but I'm just going to borrow a little bit from him. There are a lot of people in my neighborhood, and I watch their actions, I can tell you what cars they drive. I can tell you when they go walk their dog. I can tell you when they go take their trash out. I can tell you, you know, do they yell at their kids in the yard? I can tell you, you know, like, do they keep their grass well mowed? Um, you know, that's what my, na- my neighbors drive by me, and they're like, I wish we could do a drive-by on that house. And instead of guns, just grass seed. But anyway, um, we know our actions. But if you were to ask me what neighbors do you know, I'm not gonna tell you them. I'm gonna tell you the neighbors that I know of that we have exchanged what? Words. Because that's really how you get to know someone, right? You, you, you can pass these people all day long. Well, like, I know they were driving red Acura, and I know they, they must have to go to work early because I see them at this time, and I know they have a dog, and I know they have kids, and I know they have a soccer team because they have a sticker on the back of it. But you don't know them. How do you know them? From their words. And so when we talk about Jesus being the very word of God, he's not just saying, hey, look at my actions. He's saying, come interact with me that you might know me that you might know me. And so first, this part of this thing is, so if God wanted him to be known by us, he didn't just have the word of God in Christ. He has had the words about Christ in his living word starting all the way back to the beginning. So first of all, we're just gonna look at some of these, by the way. So if you're someone that's like, man, I just don't get it. I don't get how we get from Genesis to whoever Jesus is. I don't get it. I don't get how it all connects together. I can't promise that I'm going to connect it together to you today, but I'm going to try to show you that we're not talking about something that just all oh, Jesus came up and popped up. Remember I said before, God is doing something new in Christ. He's not becoming something new in Christ. So what does it say about him in what we call the Old Testament? 
What were the claims about Jesus? What did other people say? And now let's circle back around because obviously this is what God is saying about himself through the prophets, but you know where I'm coming from. And this is just some of them. But what did other people say that Jesus was gonna be like and what he was like? Verse two, we come back and we remember, this isn't something new. He says it right in there, text. The promises that were promised long ago. So he's given you a clue. There's gonna be history. There's gonna be places where you can trace this back. Parents, this is why you and I, we love it when we have put something away in our kids' room and we know exactly where it is and they come to us and they're like, I don't know where it is, I can't find it. And we, do we lose our minds? No, we're like, if you trace your steps back, you'll find it, I know. And that's why God says, that's why Paul is saying through, the, the Lord is saying through him right here, this is promised long ago, why don't you go back and see? So let's start again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pop these off. Psalm 16.10, prophesied. Go right for the jugular, right here at the beginning. Prophesied that the Messiah would be resurrected. You will not allow your beloved one to rot in the grave. Right off the bat, so Psalm 16.10, we're already talking about his resurrection a thousand years before. Psalm 22, these are just some, remember? Psalm 22 prophesies that the Messiah, he would be forsaken, that he would be pierced, truly. And I'm not talking about like, dude, you like my gauges. I'm talking about pierced. But that he would be then vindicated, they would be vindicated. Again, what other people say about Jesus? Psalm 118, 22 through 24, that the Messiah would be rejected. Psalm 118, 23 through 24 talks about him being rejected. Now, you know about the cross part, but let's talk about this part. Jesus comes and he's getting ready to begin his public ministry and his family comes and starts mocking him and rejecting him before him. Y'all, do you know what that's like? That's like me at about like eight, you know, well, seven something in the morning, getting ready to leave the house, getting ready to get in my car, putting my car in reverse and turning around, and my whole family's there with placards in the driveway going, you're a crummy pastor, go home. I'd be like, <laughs> rejected by his whole family, but prophesied before earlier. Isaiah seven fourteen. we already said this, that he'd be born of a virgin, Guys, that's really hard to orchestrate yourself when you're the baby. Just putting that out there. Isaiah 52 and 53, that he would be a servant, he would serve all, but that he would suffer. My friend, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the whole story. That he serves all, everyone, and in, in turn, what he gets back? Suffering. Isaiah 35, five through six, that he would be a healer. Guys, he heals people in ways that blow everyone's mind. And then he even some starts with some by saying, let me heal your soul first, like the man that was lowered down, the paralytic in Mark. Let me forgive your sins. He's a healer, there's no denying. And then, of course, we go back to Genesis 3.15, that he would be born of a woman. Again, really hard to miss that one. But Luke chapter 2 tells us right there, born of Mary. Obviously, obviously, this is the part where we have to just come. These are just some. Jesus' life matches up with what other people say about him. So right now, Jesus and Michael Jackson are pretty good. Just on the, on the least the positive stuff. He matches up. He matches up what they would say. And so part of this is one of the things, how does that, why does that make a difference in your life? 
it's this. It's that the gift of God in the prophecies, specific prophecies about Jesus being true in the flesh that you could see them is God showing off about how faithful he is about keeping his promises. It, that's, it literally, Jesus walking around doing it is literally God going, hey, did you just see that? Did you see the 5,000 being fed? Did you see the person, did you see Lazarus raised from the dead? Did you see him walk on water? Did you see him be rejected? Did you see him be pierced? Did you see him be raised again? You can look all back and you know what you can say? You can say, thank God, he's not just faithful. He wants you to see that he is faithful in keeping his promises. And you know what that's like? That's like me when I go to Hannah's soccer games. She hates this, or at least I think she does. When I go, it's not enough for me to be there. Hannah, I'll put you on the spot. I'll put you on the spot real quick. You got to do it loud. How do you know that I'm in the stand? What do I do? <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know. Like, I will be there, and it's all just us in suburban hickory, and I'm up there, and like, if she doesn't know that I'm there, I'm like walking out of the field, I'm like, Shoop! you know, and then all of a sudden these other kids are like, what's going on? Snoop Dogg here? But I, I, I want, I, it's not just enough for me to be there. I want her to know that I'm there. So this is the same thing Jesus is doing in fulfilling all these things and walking around in the flesh. It's God going, you know who's faithful to keep his promises? Me, look. I get glory when you understand that I keep my promises. Everything that's said about Jesus, here we go, the, the, the doctrinal point, everything that is said about Jesus, he not only accomplishes, he accomplishes in the flesh. Second thing, what did Jesus claim about himself? What did Jesus claim about himself? What did he say? Michael said he was bad, but he said, who's bad? Okay, and we go, Michael, you're not bad. Well, well, what did Jesus say about himself? What did Jesus claim about himself? What did God, when he was in the flesh, in Christ, claim about himself? What claims did he make about himself? So we go to verses three and four here in the text. It, this is the good news about God's son, Jesus, who came as a man born into King David's family's royal line, and Jesus Christ, our Lord, was shown, was shown to be the Son of God when God powerfully raised him from the dead by means of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was a person. He lived. That is a historical fact verified by not just Christians, but by Jews and by Romans. So don't give me this whole Jesus never existed. He was fully human and fully God. You cannot be born and not be fully human, and you cannot be raised from the dead by powers of you without being fully God about himself as, we, as he walked around in the flesh on the earth. What did he claim about himself? Because this is very important. These are just some of the things that Jesus said about himself. Matthew 26, 63, Jesus claimed, he said, I am the son of God. John 10, 28, Jesus said, I am the giver of eternal life. That's a bold claim. You think the son of God is bold? Charles Manson was like, me too. And actually he was like, me too, you know. John 10, 28, Jesus claims, I am the giver of eternal life. John 10, 30, I am one with the Father. Mark 2, 10, this is amazing. I am the one who forgives sin. Wait just a minute. He says this in a land full of priests, 
where all the time people are going and asking them for forgiveness, sacrificing hundreds upon thousands of animals for forgiveness, and he says, I am the one that forgives sin. That's bold. Mark 2.10. John 5, 22 through 23. This is another bold one. I am going to be the future judge of all living and dead. I count it lucky that I know Wes Barkley, and he's a judge in Catawba County Court. But I know the one who is going to judge all things for all time and everyone. John 4, 26. Jesus said, going back to Genesis 3, 15, and going back to 2 Samuel, I am the one that was the promised Messiah that's been talked about. I'm him. Don't miss it. I am him. And then, of course, you know this one, John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus says, I am the exclusive way to God, no one else. These are his claims. And do you know why these are? These are so important because these are not things that his followers assign to him afterwards, right? Like, after Bob is gone, someone's gonna, someone's gonna just make up some things about him that probably weren't true. It happens to every single person that, you know what, all of a sudden, like these people that we know of that were horrible politicians, now they're, they've been dead for 100 years, and we're like, oh, they're amazing. And we assign them, but these are things that Jesus says about himself, claims that he made while he was walking around in the flesh. And some of the most important of those are these, that suffering, rejection, and ultimately crucifixion came to Jesus not because people just felt like it, but because of what he claimed. And if you think about all the things, and I know some of you all that have been Christians for a long time, you understand this. If you claim simply to be a nice person, and you're a good teacher, and you're a great moral person, I don't know about you, but I've never wanted to crucify any of those people. But they crucified Jesus because he said, I am one with God. I am the eternal judge. I am the only way to God. I am the one who forgives sin. And the Jewish people did not say, well, those sound like pretty normal things. They said, no, and they crucified him. Why is this so important for the flesh? Because of this. God came in the flesh, and what did he reveal to us in Christ? Everything. Everything about, if we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. And what does he reveal to us? Truth, love, and forgiveness. And he gives us the fullness of God in a person, and what do we give him back? Rejection. Exposing our what? Sin. God fully gives us every single part of him, encased in flesh, truth, love, and grace that we would believe on him and have faith in him and that he would do all the heavy lifting for him and we reject him. And what does that expose? It exposes his holiness and it exposes our flesh. And we love this part about him becoming flesh because of this. In order to truly save us, he became one of us, that his sacrifice on our behalf would be both holy and perfect. That Jesus said all these things and then actually did them in the flesh means he in the flesh accomplished the purpose of the law. He is the only one ever that walked around as fully human and did not do any sin of commission or any sin of omission. He did not sin with his mind. He did not sin with his heart. When we read in Hebrews that he was tempted in every single way, that means every single way so that he would be made the perfect sacrifice for us. Finally, this is, the, this is the cool part. 
Again, we said Michael's words and actions simultaneously disqualify him at the same time. Jesus' words and actions just build it even more. Does it all add up when we look at the life of Jesus Christ? I love that verse four, verse four, God loves to just celebrate his greatest victories right off the bat. He's like, oh, by the way, in verse four, my son was raised from the dead. What you got? I mean, that's like the first, the first play of your card game. You just throw down all four aces and like, shut up, go away. He's like, hey, listen, by the way, we, my son and I, the Holy Spirit, this Trinity, this triune God, we defeated death. So right off the bat, his life already matched everything that's been said about him. He's raised from the dead. Can you top that? He begins with the end, and it's key. But remember this morning, we're talking about the part of the born of a Virgin Mary, and we're part, talking about the part of the conceived by the Holy Spirit before we get to the suffering. We gotta realize that everything that Jesus said was godly in the Beatitudes, which is Matthew 5, 3 through 11, Jesus lived out in his daily life. Let's just go back and read it real quick. Matthew chapter five, if you got it in your Bible. And you tell me if you don't see this lived out every day through Christ and all the things that he does. Blessed are those who realize their need for him. Who's always going away and praying all the time? The disciples are like, where is he going? For the kingdom of heaven is good to them. God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. Jesus had tears, not just for people's sin, but for their unbelief. God blesses those who are gentle and lowly. Just remember this. He goes and sits down with women and with children, both of whom everyone in the country, in that culture was like, nope, for the whole earth belongs to them. God blesses those who are hungry and thirsty for justice, for they will receive it all. Who does Jesus continue to talk about? The poor, the downtrodden, the one that you're, the one that you're not remembering, I'm remembering. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. On the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God blesses those who hearts, whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. There's no more pure-hearted than Christ, and never, ever raising his voice in a way except for to reject and rebuke those who thought they were more holy than the actual Son of God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God, even when his own brother Peter, well, brother and disciple, decides to go and slice off the ear. He said, put your sword away. Heals him. Those that live by the sword will die by the sword. God blesses those who are persecuted because they live for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. We already know that one. God blesses you when you are mocked and persecuted and lied about because you are my followers be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted too. And remember this, Jesus never asks us to do something that he did not do in the flesh. He forgave, he prayed, he worshiped, he gave, he remained, he fled from sin, he loved the poor, he spoke the truth to the lost, on and on and on. He lived that we would both know the heart of God and what God would do here walking around in the flesh. And he not only did it, but he told us why. He said, do you understand what I just did? This is super important, and I'll kind of finish with the story and make one more point. I don't know about y'all, but I hate getting the power bill in every month. So in the wintertime, after we've been baking something in the oven, if you've been baking something in the oven at 400 during the wintertime, what do you do? You open the door back up and you let that, what do we call it? 
free heat. <laughs> all right, we're, I, I'm glad that we're all rednecks here, that we're not all this. Okay, good. That was the only person that does that. So, so we were, you know, you're baking, and it's the wintertime, and you, you're looking at the thermostat, and all us, us husbands, we like monitor the thermostat. It's like part of, our, part of our job description. And so there, when we're making cookies, and it's been 400 degrees or whatever like that, then we prop the oven door open, and we let all that free heat out, and it's great. Now, I can remember Molly when we were in middle school, it's August. It's August. It's hot around here in August, like really hot. And we made some cookies. And then afterwards, I'm like walking to the house, and I walk through the kitchen, and all of a sudden, like, you know, the Sahara Desert busts me upside the head. I'm like, what's going on? I look down, and like, first of all, she forgot to turn the oven off, which is beside the point. She's in college now, so it's okay. Anyway. But then, like, this, this, this is summertime, and this is heat is pouring out. And, you know, I could just imagine, like, in my head, the spiritual battle between the thermostat operating the uh, air conditioner and, you know, Duke Power with my, you know, with my oven. They're going, whoa, you know. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Who left the oven door open? And I run, and Molly's like, I did. I'm like, why? You do it. <laughs> you know what? I did it, but I never told her. Why? It's not enough. It, God was like, you know what? It's not enough for me to just tell them. It's not enough for me to come down and do it. I'm going to put it all together because I want my people who were called by my name to see me serving them and to see me loving and to see me giving grace and to see me speaking truth, and I want them to know why. And so when we finally wrap this all up, we say, unlike anyone else in history, because he is unique and not like anyone else in history, Jesus is the one who pastured that grid of what was said about him, what he claimed about himself, and how he lived here in the flesh all adds up. And it stacks up to this place where you can't just go, oh, I feel good about him. It stacks up to this place where you go, either he is nothing to me or he is Lord and there is no place in between. Either everything said about him all was true, everything he said about himself was true, and backed up by his entire life. Either all that was true and it demands my allegiance to him and I will say you are Lord, just like it says in Philippians chapter two, that every knee will bow and tongue will confess one day that God is Lord. And I'm gonna ask you, do you wanna do that now when it's your decision or do you wanna do that when you have to because you failed to? It all adds up. What was said about him, what he said about himself, and how he lived, and it was perfect, and he did it all completely in the flesh. Let's pray. Lord God, that you lived and that you went through exactly what the author of Hebrews said, you were tempted in every way, you were tried so that you might be the perfect high priest for us, Lord God, is mind-blowing because we can't even drive down the street without uttering something in our heart about someone that we see. And Lord God, that you are all holy, all loving, all gracious, all wonderful, all knowing. You're the perfect fulfillment of the law. And so Lord God, in these moments of silence, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, because Holy Spirit, we know that you are the one that opens hearts, just like we read this past week with the youth, you were the one that opened Lydia's heart. I pray that as she sat on that riverside in Philippi, with Paul and Silas, Lord, and you opened her heart, that you would open our hearts, that you would take our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh, that your word might be planted in it and that we might trust and obey you, calling you Lord, believing that you conquered death and sin and that you rose again from the grave and we would respond to the good news.